So kids, I'm uh, going to give all of you a get-out-of-jail-free card this morning. Here's what that means, is I'm going to tell you a little bit about the kind of kid that I was, and then you can use that with your parents when you misbehave to get out of jail with them, perhaps. How many of you, um, how many of you kids think you're good kids? You're pretty good kids. You behave, you listen. George, you're not a good kid. How many of your parents would say, I'm sitting beside some really good kids? Lots of parents, right? Lots of blessings in these kids that we have. Well, I can see this from when um, I grew up in a little town called Smith Falls, Ontario, Canada, that I was not a good kid. I, I look like a good kid to my parents, um, mostly. Um, it's funny because when me and my older brother, who's three years older than I am, my younger sister, who's three years younger than I am, when we get together with my mom especially, we'll tell stories about the things that we did when we were kids, and she has no idea what we were pulling off. We were hiding stuff all over the place. And it was a little town of maybe 10,000 people. Um, that we lived in. And um, as we, as me and my brother, my older brother especially, as we lived into our neighborhood, um, we kept track and we broke 39 windows in our neighborhood, including some at the Catholic school just down the street. There was a Catholic school. And what we would do is we would take hard hockey pucks. They had a, a wire net over all the windows on the ground floor. And there was pavement right in front where we could play road hockey. We took hard pucks, you know, those hard rubber pucks. And you would hit slap shots at the wire grating until it would push in and bend in enough when it would hit the windows. That's what we would do. Um, we would raid gardens. And we would throw squashes, and I hate, that's part of the reason why I hate zucchini. I could throw them out on the street during harvest time. We were on first name basis with many of the police officers in the small town that we lived in. There were parts of the town that were fenced off. We went in. There were bridges that we were not supposed to walk on top of and jump off of into the water below. We did that. There were lots of things. We were the sort of kids that during the summer times especially, we would find every place in the town where we shouldn't go while my mom and my dad were at work and there was a babysitter at home who said she was watching us, but she wasn't really watching us. And we would explore the whole town and do a whole lot of stuff we shouldn't have done. So kids, if your parents ever, if your parents are saying you're misbehaving, then you can say this. You can say, but Pastor Scott was a way worse kid than I am, and he's a pastor now. So you can use that with them, okay? I don't know if it'll work. In fact, I expect it won't. But here's my great regret. Not about the misbehaving. Not about the silly, goofy things that I did. It's that my kids, my, my friends and the kids in town and the kids in my classroom couldn't see Jesus in me. They never saw Jesus. I was delinquent. Not just in my behavior, but in my expression of faith and my obedience to Christ. And asking the question, do people in your life know you are a follower of Jesus? You and I may answer, they know, but the question that I want to ask you this morning is, do they? My friends knew that I went to church. They knew that I couldn't play on certain teams because those teams only met on Sunday. But they didn't know who Jesus was in me. Do the people in your life 
that you come in contact with who don't know Christ especially, do they see Jesus in you? Because we have been sent as followers of Jesus into a world of darkness and all of us can carry it if we're six, seven, eight years old or if we're 60 or 70 or 80. That's what we're digging into this morning as we spend some time in the book of Matthew. I encourage you to turn in your scriptures there before we dive in to God's word. Let's pray for his blessing on our time of learning and growing. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you meet us in the power of your word as you equip us to go into the world and share who you are with the world around us. That, Lord, when we rub shoulders and interact lives with those around us, that we do so, Lord, in a way that is a testimony and a profession of who you are to us. That they don't have to question whether or not our faith is real because it's abundant, it's clear, and it's communicated in everything that we do. And Lord, that can be hard sometimes. And you promise us here in your word that it is going to be hard sometimes. Equip us when it gets hard to know that, Lord, this is a calling that you've given to us. And as we live into us, you will be present even when it gets difficult. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to dig into God's Word at chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew. If uh, you're in the book, uh, you're about maybe a third of the way from the back. If you're any of the Old Testament uh, um, books that end in Aya or something like that, you need to keep going forward and you'll hit the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are all the Gospels. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. It says this, these 12, and he named the 12 before that, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel as you go proclaim this message. Kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It's an interesting passage and an interesting way to start the passage. First of all, Jesus has sent these young folks. And these young folks, these disciples, are truly young. Usually you became a disciple. Here's how it went. You went to synagogue school. If you were a Jew, you went to synagogue school. There weren't schools for kids to go to. Kids, your school was the world most of the time. Unless you were a Jew, then you would go to school, and school was the synagogue school where you would learn the Torah. The Torah is the Old Testament law. All the stuff that comes after Genesis, especially the first five books, you would spend a lot of time learning that. You would also learn from the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and such. But you didn't go to school for that long. You went to school at the, you know, the rabbinic school, or the, uh, sorry, the synagogue school until you were about maybe 12 years old because then when you were done with that, what would you have? You would have a, a mitzvah. You would transition into the next stage of life. If you were a boy, you would become a man. So there was no more schooling after that unless somebody looked at you who was walking through your town one day and said, come follow me, a person like Jesus. And we hear those stories where he said to these young folks who are probably 13, 14, 15, maybe even 16 years old, 
And they were, yes, fishermen, but you could be a fisherman at 14, 15 years old. And you could become a tax collector, probably based on some learning that you would do and some, some being in a part of a family that would give you that position by maybe, say, 20, 21 years old. So the people that Jesus are not sending, uh, that is sending out are not seasoned veterans. Kids, these are not your mom's and dad's ages, probably even. These are the Simon and Alice Cokes of the room. Even Garrison's probably pretty close to the age that this would happen. Where a a, a disciple would be a part of a school with a rabbi and the rabbi would then teach them and walk from town to town to town. That was your school. So we see what Jesus is commissioning them to do. Hear these words. Listen what it says at the end of that. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now, how many of you feel equipped to fulfill all of those instructions? Is there no one who's willing to go here and go heal the sick? And drive out demons? But yet, God, Jesus was sending out 16, 17, 18 year olds. Eight year olds to do this. God equipped them enough because they had faith enough, friends. They had seen a Savior who had already begun to teach teaching they had never heard before. To do things that they had never seen before. And in faith, they could, equipped with the Holy Spirit, live into these instructions. How many of you have the Holy Spirit? How many of you know that Jesus is miraculous and beyond anything that you can imagine? You are equipped to go out, heal the sick, heal the brokenhearted, do all the instructions there. Do you believe that? You do, good. Anyone else? You do? Do we? That's part of the challenge, isn't it, right? We believe in a God of the miraculous who has said to us, go out and live into the miraculous that I have given you. And oftentimes what's beautiful is you know who teaches us how to do this best is the kids in our midst. Kids are way better at inviting people to church than most of us are. Amen? There are people, kids in this room, later on tonight, there's going to be youth group, and they're inviting friends left, right, and center, because Mario, actually tonight is a kickball night with some parents, we're going to have a blast, we're going to be swimming together with, um, you know, over at someone's house, we're going to be doing s'mores, and they know that they can invite kids into this experience of fun and joy and life, and people coming together around Jesus, they invite people all the time, and people come And God does things there. Some of these sorts of things just maybe in a different way and they look differently. But kids live into that power. Why often don't we as adults? Do you live into that? Now, that being said, maybe if we had a kickball night for church, everyone would invite their friends. Maybe that's what we need. But for us to understand, God has equipped us in the same way that he has equipped these disciples who are younger than the vast majority of people in this room with his Holy Spirit that empowers them to go out. And that is for you who are 12 years old and 40 years old. 
and 70 years old. Can you live into that? That's why we use these words. Go courageously where God calls us to go. Now, the other thing about that part of the text is you see, he doesn't send the disciples someplace they're not supposed to go. He sends them not to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. Why? They're equipped for the Jews. That's why our kids and us are equipped for certain spots. There are some of you who are equipped for the hospital. Why? Because that's where you work. And that is your mission field, living into that. Some of you are equipped for the streets. I see how, how some of our folks in our community live into proclaiming the gospel on the streets. Why? Because God has equipped them for that. I see people who can do that in schools. Why? Because that's the space that God has equipped for you for, um, for you to do that. And for us to understand God has equipped each one of us uniquely, but then we need to live into it with courage and with the desire to see God doing these sorts of powerful things in us. Let's continue. 9.15. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. The home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. To go takes faith. For us to go into any of these things that we're talking about in the same way the disciples were called to go in the towns around, it takes faith. And God is saying there, do not, do not do this on your own power and use that as the judgment for whether or not you can pull this off. How many of you don't think that you have enough Bible knowledge to be an evangelist? Anyone? Well, you're lying to me. I know some of you are because you tell me that. I don't know my Bible well enough to talk to people about the Bible. I don't have enough theology, that big word, that I have big books and thick books on my shelf for. I don't know doctrines, these again, theological words. I don't know this stuff enough in order to be able to do it. But God has equipped you with what you need, not only to what you need to this point, which is like, yeah, I can do that. He has equipped you for this point, which is there's no way that I could pull that off. And that's why he sends the disciples saying, you don't, you don't go to your level. Don't take money enough to get here. You go in faith because I'm going to take you here. And that takes risks and faith and courage. And I know the world that we live in. We are fearful to offend. And we are fearful of we're going to create friction or someone's going to look at us like we are crazy. And you know what the scriptures promise? That that is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to have people look at you and they are going to reject you. They're not going to welcome you into their home says in the text, into their lives in reality. And that's a promise. But does it stop us? Because God has equipped us for this. And if we have the courage and the faith to live into this, incredible things can happen. So, um, question. 
How many of you know how to play the game croquet? You know croquet? Mallets, wooden balls, hoops. And did you know that there is an official course for croquet? And there is actually a whole abundant set of rules for croquet. It is an international sport, oddly enough. There are international world championships for croquet. You know how I learned this? Kevin Hogan. Kevin Hogan lived on a corner in my, neighbor, in my neighborhood, and it was right on the way to the baseball fields. And Kevin was a quiet, quiet kid. His parents, his dad was a high school teacher. I think his mom worked at the hospital. He was a quiet kid. He was, he was a good, good, good kid. Like, he was the kind of kid who had Halloween candy still in his, uh, in his room in February because his parents told him only eat one piece a day. He's that kind of kid. And I know some of you kids, you are like November 2nd, you got nothing left because you're just hammering it, right? Especially the Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm just telling you, you got Reese's peanut butter cups you don't want, just drop them off here at the office. I'm good with that. But he was the kind of kid that um, he actually thought way more than I did. As a kid, I told you, I didn't think about how to share Jesus. He did. Here's what happened. Here's what he learned. About May or June or the beginning of spring or summer, which in Canada, this was in Canada, so that could have been, I don't know, July, August, September. Um, the beginning of summer, he, we would go by his house with our bikes on the way to baseball, and inevitably we would hear the click, the click. And the click was the sound of croquet balls hitting each other. You heard that click before, some of you? You know what that sounds like, right? It's a very distinctive click. Because there was a hedge around his backyard, and we'd know Kevin had set up the croquet course. And we were kids, uber competitive, and you got to hold a hammer. Yeah, absolutely. We were in for croquet. We'd drop our bikes in his driveway, jump back in. Two or three of us would learn how to play croquet. There's a stake over here, stake over here, two hoops, hoop here, hoop here, hoop in the middle, hoop on the outside, all the rules that go along with it. You had to get through whoever got back to the first stake first one. And we learned all the rules and stuff like that. But here's what would happen by the end of that. It was always during the beginning of summer that Kevin would get the croquet out. He didn't even have it out much by the end of the summer. But he knew that it would stop us. And by the end of whatever croquet game that we were doing, Kevin was a part of a Lutheran church. He had signed us up for his Lutheran church's VBS. So all the kids who had played croquet at his house all of a sudden were piling into the Hogan station wagon later that day or the next week in order to go to the VBS program, which is Vacation Bible School, a week-long program at this church where they would do dramas and crafts and Bible story and songs and all that stuff. And we would hear about Jesus. Now, I knew what Kevin was doing. I understood. He's totally living into that evangelism thing that I never live into. But it worked. Mark and Mike Doyle, Kevin Beauclair, Kenny Hamilton, all those kids ended up going to VBS like three summers in a row. They heard the gospel message because Kevin took what he had but allowed God to take it to another level. He had a croquet set. God took it here. Now, to this day, I remember some of those things that we did at the VBS. And I hope and I pray Mark and Mike uh, Doyle do too. 
I hope that there was somehow, some way that God shared the gospel with those kids in a powerful way because Kevin equipped them with what he had. Verses 16 through 20, let's keep moving through the passage. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. Be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For you will not be speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So we hear that, and it's scary. There's going to be difficulty ahead. Be reminded of that. So don't let, oh, it's too hard. It's going to be too difficult. I might get rejected. Frankly, friends, that is not one of those things that work. works because it's a promise of God. But what Christ promises here is that when you do get into those spaces and places, you say you don't know what to say. God does, and he'll use you. And that's for you who are in fifth grade. You're not sure what to say when you're inviting one of the kids from your soccer team to legacy nights next week where there's things going on for you or to cadets or or junior high or gems or high school. You're not sure what will happen if they ask you some hard questions. Here's my promise to you. God will be with you. Christ will be with you. And he will equip you with the words. Do not be afraid, friends, none of you. You've got the capacity through the Spirit that called the disciples to cast out demons and heal the sick. You have the ability through the Spirit to do way more than you think of or imagine. Do not be afraid to live into what your go is. God's going to be present. And always, 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 He's going to take over. Now, How do we live into this? What do we do next? How do you live into this? Here's my challenge to all of you, okay? I want you to think about how we go through the process of bringing somebody into our life. Here's how I think about it oftentimes. I think about sort of places in my world. Think of a neighbor. I start off with my neighbor in my front yard, right? I mean, you're driving somewhere and you're coming home and they're in their front yard and you start talking in your front yard. So for that, that's sort of how we need to, we need that opener conversation, start in the front yard. But then sort of, you know, oftentimes it moves somewhere else in the yard, maybe into our backyard or maybe into the front door, my living room, the living room spot where maybe, a, hey, there's a game on. You want to watch a game? Or is there something like um, that we can sit and talk about? Or maybe you're talking about a book. Or maybe we can just have coffee together in our living room. Or, or, or maybe even your formal sitting room. I don't know what your house looks like. But then it gets more and more close. Because your kitchen table, right? That's where it really matters a lot. When you're sitting at that kitchen table, or maybe for you it's the bar in the kitchen, that's where that relationship is getting closer and closer and closer, and you can share more and more life. But for us to think about this process of bringing people to Christ, and maybe somewhere in there comes the thing, hey, we got legacy nights. We got legacy nights on Wednesday this coming week. Come to legacy nights. All you have to do, you don't even have to stay for the classes. Just come and sit. We'll have food together. You don't have to worry about cooking a meal. Don't force them into something beyond it. 
Just allow them the opportunity to engage with the power of people who are hospitable. But you kids especially, I think, hey, we're doing this great thing at Cadets. Travis, are you doing rockets this coming week? Rockets again. Come get your rocket on. You can, you can, you can in a couple of weeks, you can blow something up. How cool is that? Or gems, all the stuff that gems do. The gems are amazing at creating a space where kids can come. Junior high youth group. There were 45 kids down at the bottom here last uh, legacy nights or, or just going crazy with dodgeball because those kids are in that place of invitation for us to then live into that. It's the process. It doesn't come with a, a, a croquet mallet across the head. Come to church It comes with us allowing God to give us the words for each stage of the process. And here's the thing. It can take time. Be patient. But be loving in that conversation to go into the world around you. For you friends who think about your workplaces, be patient with that coworker who still drives you crazy after you sharing with them before that you've gone to church. Because maybe God is going to use something. Maybe you can simply say something like this this week. Hey, at the beginning of the week, I want to pray for you every day this week. Can you just tell me what to pray for? That's all you have to say. Can you just tell me how I can pray for you this week? That's all I want to do. And then maybe over the course of the week, you just say, hey, praying for you. Hope you have a great week. Live into a doorway opening, allowing God to take you and I from this to this with courage that he has equipped us for the task because he has. That's the case for all of us. Friends, God has called each one of us, every person in this room, to some space in his kingdom to bring Jesus. I forgot about that when I was in seven and eight years old. Let's not forget about that. Let's instead be people who carry his gospel, equipped by his spirit, even beyond what we can think of or imagine, to do what it is that he calls us to do. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask that you equip us to go into this world. And Lord, yeah, it it may be the other side of the world sometimes, and we think of those who are called to that. But maybe, Lord, for us, instead, it's simply go across the street, go to the next desk, go across the playground, go to the next cubicle. Then, Lord, we understand that you've equipped us beyond our own capacity, that each of us in our own way has a place, a, a croquet field where we can invite people into. And Lord, if we're intentional about that space, allowing them to receive an invitation offered in love so that, Lord, we might see what it is that you do through our work and our faithfulness to your call. Thank you for the kids in here, Lord. Equip them to that end. Equip them towards that invitation. Equip also all of us, the adults, the senior saints, Lord, those young families, however it is, Lord, we all have a space Equip us for that space that we can live faithfully into it and give you glory from there. Lord, we pray all these things in Christ. Amen.